Hello and welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. Today I am joined by a guy that I have learned to love, uh, care a lot about. Sometimes he annoys the hell out of me and people that he works with, but we'll cover that in a little bit. But he's known to many as Mr. Monkey Man, uh, the one and only zookeeper, Mr. Nigel Risner. Good uh, morning, Nigel. How are you? What a great introduction. A man I love to hate, but I kind of love him a little bit. What a great welcome. Eight o'clock in the morning, I've woken up for this, and I've only been insulted within the first minute and a half. But we love that. That's why we love each other. Well, you, you are kind of a little bit more like Marmite, aren't you? Because some people absolutely love you and the work that you do. But you do have a habit of rubbing people up the wrong way, don't you? It's not so much I rub people up the wrong way. I just speak the truth. And most people in our position, when we're working with senior leaders, don't actually say what they really think. Because they're either sugarcoating it or they want business from them. You know, one of the greatest advantages I ever got was when I won Speaker of the Year from a couple of organisations, I then didn't need the points anymore. So, you know, my big thing, as you know, is I'm... I'm results orientated more than applause orientated. So I get that people want happy scores and they want testimonials. But I promise you, testimonials don't pay the bills. Rebookings do. And you have you have a phenom- phenomenal rebooking rate. Um, and I know the last time that you and I spoke, you were telling me about a story about um, people that you've just gone back to and back to and back to. Um, why is it that people just keep booking you to go back in? Because... I share the truth, and I also do one other thing, is that I call out people with bullshit. Because if you want to know what people really want, change the question to what's a real must in your life. And when you start working with senior leaders or you start working with staff in organisations, what you find out is that no one's really challenged them and been really key on the consequences of not following through. So we just have another meeting. Well, I'm sorry you didn't follow through. And, uh, you know, I'm really sorry this didn't happen. Well, you know, we'll, we'll find a coach for you. And then what we'll do is we'll find another system for you. Well, at some point, you either inspire those people or you fire them. Now, that's tough for people, especially in the first eight minutes of a podcast, to say to people, look at your staff. If you're not willing to inspire them, you need to fire them. That's as simple as that. And for some people, that's just too brazen. You know, that's just too tough on people. But But why? I mean, you know... Most business owners or, you know, businesses exist to, to make profit and uh, and grow. Um, why are we not prepared to have those difficult conversations? Because they're uncomfortable. And we'd rather be right than happy. And we hate being uncomfortable. So, you know, you know, if I hated red and your background, as I'm looking at you right now, is red. Instead of me saying, I hate the colour red, I think there's better ways you could do this, I'll go... It's lovely, but you know what we may want to consider is painting the room. And in three months' time, we'll still be having this conversation. Well, if it doesn't work, and they're not your corporate colours, etc., etc., then you've got to do something about it. The problem is, we're so worried about the law, we're so worried about HR, we're so worried about um, learning and development, that we had. I had a lawyer in one of my groups yesterday. And after I challenged a charity that was spending a lot of money on what I call an internal muppet you know somebody who's just never going to get it and for two years they've been what i call an internal terrorist the lawyer said if you want to get rid of people you can there may be a cost to it but we worked out the cost of keeping this person was so much that it would pay them to give them fifty thousand dollars send them in an uber to their biggest competitor to say you know what be a terrorist there destroy their business 
The problem is most people don't want to say that. They want to find some nice answer to really make them feel comfortable and the person they're speaking to comfortable. I'm past that. I'm 60 in June, in July. This is my 25th year as a speaker. I'm never going to get loved. I'm never going to get loved by everyone. I've realised that, okay? But I do get loved by about 90% of my clients. And I'm okay with that because if I really go to 100%, I'm not being an integrity with myself. So let's just go back to that piece because I've actually seen you do this a couple of times. Let's go back to that piece about working out what it is the the cost is of the organisation of keeping not just a terrorist but somebody that's kind of like eh, they're just they're they're a six out of ten they're never going to be an eight they're just a six. How how do you help people work out the real cost or the opportunity lost cost of keeping somebody that really we should be getting rid of? Okay, but I just want to add one more thing because we did this part of the exercise yesterday as well. This particular person sits with three other people and those three other people are being infected by this person. So now you've got the one person whose salary is X, add 20% for the cost of keeping that person, three people sitting around them whose energy has dropped by at least 30% and then every phone call one of those four mate may have a detrimental effect on the business. We, we worked out it was something like $1.5 million of turnover is needed to keep this entourage going. That's a lot of money every year just to, fu- to fund to keep this bit going. So one of the things you've got to really look at is, where is your business right now? Where would you like it to be one year from now? Is this person pivotal? So I just want to introduce something a little bit weird. We have a new animal in our zoo. So just for a second, go with me on this. That there are certain people who are leopards in organisations, who are solitary workers, who don't want to be part of the team, but they're not terrorists. Does that make sense? You know, they want to work on their own. They don't want to spoil their foods. They take their food up to their own trees, store some of it, do a great job. That's a different type of thing than some of the other people who work in organisations who have a vested interest in the business not working. So they come to work literally to sabotage and are just going through the process and they forget the spoils they are leaving behind them that infiltrate the business. So you look at their salary, add 20% for the running cost and then that is the net amount of money that's paid out. You've now got to work out what is the cost of sales to pay for that person in a net income. So if someone's on 80 grand, that's really 100,000. What turnover in coaching, we'd need to probably do three times that amount to pay for that one person. If you're in manufacturing, you've probably got to do 30, 40 times that amount of money to pay for that person. Then ask yourself, if we lost that person, how much of that might we lose? Now, if they're the only person who can do some sort of specific machinery, then you've got to train someone else because you cannot be held hostage. You're into football. Do you remember when Alex Ferguson got rid of David Beckham? Yeah. At some point, you can't be bigger than the club. And everyone went, you can't let him go. Well, at some point, you can. The problem is, we are most of us are comfortable being, sorry, we're scared to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So we just stay in that comfort zone of, well, Bob's been with us for 20 years. What can we do? You know, there's a receptionist who, whenever you ring, she's quite rude. Well, she's been with us for eight years. I love when someone says, yeah, we know, yeah, that she's been with us for years. So you've accepted that behaviour for X amount of time. I know. Is it is it the confrontation that people don't want to do? Is it the uh, the fear of change? Is it this aspect that realistically we are we're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, or is it just a combination of all of them? It's that and 
Uh, someone once got sued for $20,000 for getting rid of somebody. So if you think of the cost, give, give them the 20 grand. That's the worst it can be. And genuinely, if you really were to do statistics, I don't know New Zealand law. I don't know Australian law that well. I do know, though, because I've been in both countries, you can get rid of people. It is not always easy. But there is a cost to the company that is so horrific that you've got to make a decision. Can we live with this? Plus, is it acceptable behaviour that we allow this to infiltrate other people? So imagine a brand new member of staff joins your organisation. They've left the company they were with for a month. They're super excited to, jo to join you, Adam. But the day they join, they sit in reception and their receptionist is moaning. Then they go to IT and the IT guy goes, you're never going to get a computer in the next couple of days. There's problems. And we haven't got your desk ready, but no, enjoy yourself. Then they start the day and they're sitting next to some sales manager who can't be asked. Do you know what the amount of resignations are right now in the States and in the UK? Right now. In January in America, 4.2 million people resigned from their jobs in January in the US and 78, no, whatever the numbers are, 700,000 people in January resigned. And it wasn't about money. And you know, you and I have had this conversation before. Obviously, money is important. And the best thing you can do for the poor, not be one of them. But that's not the reason why people are leaving organisations. They're leaving organisations because they're not getting their personal needs met. They're not being loved. They're not being nurtured. But we're accepting bad behaviour from some of these people. So I go into rant mode when you talk about this. So, <laughs> no, no, this is, is fine. And, and what's interesting is, is that I'm not sure if I picked this up from you or from somebody else, but I remember um, working with a lot of organisations and I, I recommend to them saying, like, if you take on a new employee, you need to be, uh, you need to give clarity in the recruitment process. But you say, look, you're going to have the opportunity, uh, and I'm going to ask you at the end of the first day, at the end of the first week, and the end of the first month, are you happy? Are you glad that you're here? If you're not, I'll pay you for the month, and you can walk out. Did I get that from you? No, you didn't get that from me. But I know exactly what you're saying. But it's even worse than that. Think about this. You know, you leave a major organisation. You join a new company who are not going to pay you for nearly a month, in theory. Okay? So you're, you're going to wait for your salary for a month. And the day you join, either the computer's not ready, your business cards aren't ready, and there's not an induction program. The CEO doesn't even know you're there. The receptionist is waiting for to introduce somebody to HR. And this is somebody who's been dying to join the organisation. They've gone through three interviews. And within seven minutes, the deflation of that person's ego is just gone. Then at the end of the first week, somebody says, well, maybe we'd like to do a tour of the building. You, know, we can, you can meet some people. And at the end of the month, they have a one-to-one -one with them. They say, how are you getting on? Well, it's too late by then. <laughs> that person's really looking for another job, probably ringing his old organisation, saying, can I come back? So what, what's the alternative? Because, um, you know, your very good friend and colleague, Jeff Ram, speaks around celebrity services as a, as a customer. But from a, an employer-employee perspective, what's the best way to onboard somebody? Okay, but there needs to be celebrity service for new team members. So, you know, uh, imagine someone got sent to their home a cup with their name on, okay? Balloons saying, we're so excited to see you. There was a welcome banner. Um, I've worked with an accountant. And when I turn up at his office, there is a sign that says, Welcome, Chief Monkey Officer. In, in the car park, I have a car park welcoming banner to see me. Imagine on the new day, there was a group of people who were there to greet that person and to take them to lunch, to show them the ropes, to show them where the, the IT department is. 
but there's a computer with their IT and password ready for them. How exciting would that person be when they got back and on their desk, you know, was a, was a, was some mints, was a, a hand sanitizer. You know, all those things were on their desk waiting. Not they've got to go and find that stuff. We've known this person's been coming for a month or even up to three months. And it seems like a shock for most people. And then the key thing is for them to have a buddy. Someone who we all love and not one of the internal terrorists. Because imagine you're sitting next to that person. I mean, the opening question would be, why did you join? I can't wait to leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you've done a lot of travelling. Is this um, systematic globally or is it is it more in the UK? Just love your thoughts on that. Okay, so it's really interesting because right now, and I, I was doing a interview in New Zealand last night, which is kind of ironic because you're a little bit behind people coming back to work and everything else. So, you know, the UK's open up massively right now. And what's happening is people are now, some people are now having to come back into the office and some people aren't ready to come back into the office and some people are being able to stay at home. One of the problems that you're going to, people are going to find is if you've been trusted to be at home for a year and a half and now we're all being asked to come back into the office and there's no purpose for coming to the office, why are we coming to the office? Then we're going to have people, it would be nice if we collaborate. I love that word. We're going to collaborate, come into the office and we'll all sit and talk. Well, I can sit and talk like this. I haven't got to fly all the way to New Zealand to see you in Oraganga, Banga, Banga, wherever you live, in the middle of nowhere, if it's about information <laughs> and sharing ideas. There are some people where having people in a room together it definitely helps. I get that. But there are a lot of people travelling to a room to be given information only. So what we've got to think about, this is global, staff who've been trusted for a year and a mm -hmm. half are now being asked to come back into the office because we don't trust them anymore. And if you think about accountants and lawyers and certain business like that, they've made as much money, if not more, by not being in the office. So why are they all having to come back? Now, don't get me wrong. Teamwork, collaboration, being in person, meeting people, just being able to go up to someone's desk and say, I've got an idea what you think is really important. But there are a lot of people that don't have to do that five days a week. And I think there's going to be issues for the next year all over the world with people being made to come back certain days of the week, being asked to come into meetings that are way too long, and we'll deal with that in a minute, that just don't add value. So we've really got to think about our trust value on the people who we've, who we've worked with, who we are working with. I mean, I've got a couple of companies I've worked with where some of the senior team have never met their staff and they've been employed. They've never met any of their team yet. So it can work. I'm not saying it's the best ideal solution, but it can work. So the world is going to wake up very, very soon. Is this about um, trusting employees or culture in the fact that they don't trust themselves as leaders? Okay, so that's a really great question. It's two different things here. They can nearly trust themselves as a leader, but they like to see people because they feel if they're seeing people, there's a, a much better connection. But not trusting their staff to not know what they're doing is a different issue. I mean, imagine a large accountancy firm two years ago saying 90% of our staff are going to be working from home. The senior partners who are traditionally MPS, male, pale and stale, as I call them, had never ever experienced yep. that. You know, they had their little offices, someone made them tea and coffee, they had a meeting, someone brought in reports and now all of a sudden everything was closed and everyone went home and those people who were IT ready had a field day with this because they could just continue working and go onto Teams or go onto WebEx or go onto Zoom and do whatever they needed to do. 
Now we're saying we'd like you all to come back to do exactly the same job. Well, I don't know how far you live, Adam, from a central big location like Auckland or somewhere else. How far are you from Auckland? Uh, five five hour drive to Auckland or Wellington. Okay, so I'd like you to come in twice a week so we can have a meeting. Okay. So think about this. I'm going to ask you to come all the way in, but here's the problem. I think people were already moving to that uh, to this new way of working anyway. And what's actually happened is is that the acceleration with regards to COVID has just meant that individuals are like, look, I want to do things on my terms and you've either got to allow me to do it or I'll go somewhere else. That's going back to what I said before about people's personal needs. But it's been such a shock to the system that, you know, people have had no option to. Now the option is you can come back to the office. There are some senior personnel who expect to see people at least three, four days a week. So Fridays, you're going to find offices totally empty. Monday mornings, you're going to find offices totally empty. Then somebody's going to say, well, we don't need the size of space offices. So I, I've done work with the BBC, who before the pandemic only had 77% of seats available for 100% of their staff. So that was before the pandemic. So 23% didn't have chairs. So they had to do some sort of system. Now it's going to be even less. But think about a normal small business in Europe, Australasia, New Zealand, Australia, anywhere, with 40, 50 people. If, if they all come back into the office, why are they all coming back into the office? Some people desperately want to come back into the office because mm -hmm. they might be living in a one-bed flat and, they, and there's no room for them to work and they're desperate to get back in to meet some people. But if you've not got great internet, if you've not got proper chairs and facilities, some people have been up, we've done Zoom calls where people are laying on their beds doing Zoom calls because that's the only space in the house where they can get internet. And they're on their beds for three, four, five hours, and, and that's not a great work environment. Or you've got people at a kitchen stall table working that way. And I've asked many of the leaders, how many of mm. you have ever been to people's houses to see how people are operating? What chairs they've got, what screens they've got, what natural light they've got, what computer Absolutely. systems have they got? And all of a sudden people are going, I didn't, know, I didn't even know they worked with us, never mind where they lived. But seriously, it's a problem <laughs> for organisations right now because people have got to recognise yep. there is a massive choice and if you don't offer them a choice, people are going to walk. And this is going to be the year of massive, massive change in organisations that's going to be so fast, the only people who are going to make money are their recruitment businesses. It's funny, last week's uh, guest was um, Steve Brown from Euro Projects. Uh, and we were talking about the uh, the great resignation. I, I think the thing for me is is that actually creating the con the conditions for success and going to somebody's house or getting somebody independent to go and check and go, okay, they need a chair and they need a desk and they need two screens. You know, the cost of it is at, you know the the cost is actually minimal because of the effectiveness and the efficiency that they're then going to get as a result. I mean, it baffles me why organisations haven't spent the time, effort and energy, or even thought about it, to address this potential issue. Okay, so let's go back to the original thing there, which is about trust, and then saying, you know, why yep. wouldn't we want to invest in these people that want to stay in our organisation? You know, how do we make this a great place to work? How do we make it to be that... We're giving you everything you need to do a phenomenal job. So one of the questions I ask as a coach when I work with senior teams, what's getting in the way of you doing a phenomenal job? What's one thing that's getting in the way of you doing a phenomenal job? Some of the answers are just baffling. 
Do you remember the old days? You're much younger than me. But in the old days, there used to be a stationary cupboard. Okay? And normally, yep. a secretary would have the key to the, to the stationary cupboard. So these people were doing multi-million dollar projects. And if you wanted a new pucker pad or one of those black and red pads, you had to go and ask somebody. And then you might have to sign something or get a requisition. I mean, this is just nuts. 20 years later, okay, if someone wants to work from home, you need to get permission to do the job that you need to do. And people who work from home normally work longer hours than they do if they come to the office. Because they start earlier, they do not have a full hour for lunch, and they do not finish at 5.15. But people who finish at 5.15 when they go to office, they get ready to leave at quarter to five. You, you see them packing stuff up, the chairs are moving back, and they're out the door at 5.15. When you work from home, you'll go back after dinner, you'll do a few more emails. Forget whether it's right or it's wrong, people often do that. Their conditions of work for them make sense. It helps them work with the relationship with their children or childcare, whatever it might be. But what we're really saying is, we go back to this, Adam, do you trust your team? And here's an exercise for everyone who works with people. Do you trust your team or do you like them? So, Adam, you don't have to like me, but I presume you trust me, otherwise we wouldn't mm -hmm. be doing this podcast together. The like bit is an added bonus. But there are too many people who really like their colleagues but don't trust them. Well, my, my answer is fire them. Yeah. You don't have to like everyone you work with. You may not invite them to your Sunday barbecue. There are many people I would never invite to a Sunday barbecue or a Friday night dinner in my house. But I trust them. My, my accountant yep. won't be listening to this, so I can say this. I don't like him that much. I think he's boring. <laughs> but I trust him 100%. <laughs> Steve, if you're listening, I love oh, you really. But, but you know what I'm getting at, though? You don't have to like all those people, but you do have to have trust. And trust doesn't need to be earned. It needs to be given. Well, I was gonna, so I was going to ask you that. Uh, just, just, just expand on that a little bit more. Okay, so I, I've given up my job to come and work for you, Adam. Okay, so I'm working for a global banker. I'm working with a global IT company. I'm working with Barclays, Dell, ANZ, whoever it might be. And I'm now going to come and work with you. I've given up my job and all that stuff. And for a whole month, I'm not going to get paid. And I don't know if you can pay me. I've not seen your bank balance. And then you're going to say, I don't trust you until I see what your work is like. We've done nine interviews. You've checked my references. You think I'm capable. And the day I join, you go, if you, you know, I'm not sure about you yet. Let me see how good you are. Well, I'm not, now you, you know I've had brain surgery, as you can probably tell. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I didn't, as I was going under the anesthetic, I didn't ask Joan Greaves, my brain specialist, say, can I see your qualifications? And bear in mind, she's doing the most intricate work in the world. I trusted her. Now, I yeah. wouldn't trust you, Adam, to do brain surgery because I'm not sure you're qualified. But I would trust you with my clients and I'd trust you to do the work that we do because I love and trust you. So you've got to think about, you've got to start thinking if you bring people into your organisation, do you trust them? Yes or no? Okay, so let's move on to one of the things that you are known for globally is about being the zookeeper. Uh, so there'll be plenty of people that are listening to this podcast who are like, who's Nigel Risner? And why is he a zookeeper? I'd love for you to just explain your your methodology. Okay, so lots of people have done lots of personality assessment tools. And there are some brilliant tools out there, whether it's Myers-Briggs, Bellman, Disc, Insight, Colors. There's loads of great stuff. The problem is, and I've worked with nearly 3 million people over 25 years, 95% of the time, 
when I go into an organisation, I will ask everyone to tell me what they think the personality types are of their senior team, especially if they've been working with each other for six months. And they'll all say, well, I know who I am. Well, that's great if you talk to yourself. But do you know your colleagues? And what we wanted to adopt was a very, very simple process that 95% of the world are one of four animals. And so people are either a monkey, lion, elephant, and dolphin. And if they go to my website, we've got a free quiz on there. We don't ask for names and addresses. You'll be aghast at this, Adam. They can just do a free quiz and they'll find the answer. <gasps> but the real job, and if I find, I've got it here. The real job in leadership is not about what animal you are. Your job, and for those people who are, this isn't being videoed, I don't know, is to become what I call the effective zookeeper. It's to understand what zookeeping is about. Because zookeeping is about understanding the animals in your team and feeding them the food they need, not the food you've got. So you can see behind me, Adam, I've got my Cadbury's chocolate here, okay? Still in packets, yep. haven't been eaten yet, okay? I'm a big Cadbury's chocolate fan. When I work with an organisation, there's always Diet Coke and Cadbury's chocolate there. They know I'm a monkey. They know I have a short attention span. I need a bit of energy. And chocolate is one of my big personal needs. If the zookeeper puts that on the table for me and says, we trust you to work with that team. Here's some chocolate. Here's some Diet Coke. And leaves me alone. I'm in full spirit. You can only do that if you know the animal type of the person you're dealing with. Imagine someone gives me dark Bourneville chocolate. I now know they haven't listened to me. They don't understand who I am. I've explained really carefully. They've worked with me for five years. What's going on? They might like that chocolate, but I don't. So what I'd like everyone who's listening to this podcast is to think, who am I working with in a close relationship? Do I know their top five personal needs? Do I know some of their animal traits? If you think of a zoo with cages, the zookeeper's role every morning is to check on the animals, give them the food they need for vitality, health and everything else, they don't just give everyone raw meat. Just think about that. They, that's all they've got today. That's all the supply. And they just start giving the dolphins raw meat. They start giving the elephants raw meat. They start giving the monkeys raw meat. You'd have an uproar going on. But that's what we do at certain times of the month. And it might be bonuses. Adam, imagine you're working really hard. You've done a fantastic job. It's your daughter's ninth birthday. And there's a massive celebration going on. And I said to you, look, I really need you to work this Friday night, um, but I'm going to give you a bonus instead. How would you feel? Uh, me personally, I'd be like, yeah. I want to be at home for my daughter's birthday. Yeah, but I really need you to work. I'm going to give you another $5,000. It's my daughter's ninth birthday. I can't afford to miss it. But, but here's the point. But there'll be a group of people that would really work for. And they're normally the lions, okay? The other three animals will feel resentful will feel upset and they might take on the job because they feel compassion for the organisation, but they're going to be in resentment mode and there'll be resignations in the next week, month or year. And remember, resentment's like taking poison, hoping the other person dies. So you've got to be really careful with resentment. And most people have no idea of the underlying resentment that's going on in organisations by the other three animals that you don't recognise. So your job, you've played squash, haven't you, Adam, in your past? Yep, yep. The person who gets to the centre of the court wins the game. In zookeeping, the person who can get to the middle of the grid and can see where the animals are really become phenomenal leaders. The problem is you've got to do something very complicated and it's something I find a struggle. You've got to learn to listen. 
You've got to really listen <laughs> and watch your animals because they're giving you signals all the time. If you think about lions and tigers, they literally scent mark all over the forest to show people where they are. People are doing that in communication, in language, in the way they work. They, they're leaving little scent marks. Your job as a zookeeper is to pick up on them and then know how to treat them. So could you just go through each of the animals, what their common traits are, how to deal with them? Okay, so you will have monkeys in your team. They're normally sales creative people who need lots of energy, lots of praise, lots of chocolate. But they have a problem that they're not in the room very much. They're only focused for about 20 minutes and they're not great at completing projects. Then you have the lions who are your typical directors that think they run the world, who are direct focused, in your face, very short on detail. They just tell you the bottom line information and sometimes act like seagulls. And seagulls will fly into a meeting, shit on people and fly out again. Apologies for my language. Then you've got the elephants who need lots and lots of information. They are analysts. They are structural engineers. They might be lawyers, accountants that need a PDF document. They love a WinZip attachment. They love a colour folder with dividers. They want information, data. They're going to check every single thing you share and they need a process and they're not very fast, but they're very, very efficient and operate to what I call excellence. And then you have the dolphins who are caring and nurturing, normally trainers, HR, nurses, who want to make the world a better place, but often forget themselves. So often are so into everyone else, they don't look after themselves. So you've got these four animals that are roaming around your office. Your job as an effective leader, if you want to be frank and fearless, using your name, is you've got to become a zookeeper. And great zookeepers are frank, are fearless, because they know the animals they're dealing with. You can't be fearless if you don't know the animals you're dealing with. You can't be frank with some of these people because they'll be too upset. People will be listening to this going, this is really interesting. It's quite simple um, and easy to understand. Where do I find out more information? Where do they go, Nigel? Well, no, they can go to my website, which is simple. It's nigelrisen.com. But I was going to say, when I wrote the book, I wrote it in four languages. You know, I had lots of colour paper for the monkeys. There were very short paragraphs for the lions. There's graphs for the elephants. And we printed it on recycled paper for the dolphins. We even went that far with the book to make it easier. We've then gone further. We've just introduced nine more animals, but that's for another podcast. And we've got a very detailed personality assessment tool, which is a 50-page report. If really, people want to go much further. But I promise you, leadership is not difficult if you're in the room and you're focused, you listen really carefully, and you're really a phenomenal zookeeper. Leadership can be pretty simple. The problem is we haven't got time. We're all very busy. So I'm going to pick up on that then. So... Can you share with us the concept of if you're going to be in the room, be in the room? So the one thing I'm known for literally around the world is this phrase, if you're in the room, be in the room. So Adam, right now we're doing this podcast. It's 8.40 in the morning for me. It's probably 3 o'clock in the morning for you or 10 o'clock in the evening. Some weird time, okay? I've got no idea. But the only person who I love right now is you. And I've got my... I've got my son and daughter-in-law and my new grandson living in my house. My wife is upstairs about to get ready to do some counselling. But the only person I love right now is you because I'm in the room with you. In about 20 minutes, I won't love you as much mm -hmm. because I have other people in my room. The tragedy in leadership is the people we're with, we're not really focusing on because we are called MPS, 
missing, presumed selling. We think we're with them, but our mind is elsewhere. We're constantly looking at our phones, checking messages. We're constantly thinking about the next client, the last client. We're constantly thinking about what's going on at home. And we don't really focus on where we are. I mean, how would you feel, Adam, if while we were talking, I was checking my phone to make sure that the meeting after this is okay, and then I kept saying to you, can you just repeat the question? I didn't, I didn't hear that. How would you feel? Uh, I'd feel uh, unloved. I'd feel yep. disrespected. Uh, I'd feel, what's the point? But hold that word, disrespected. So we knew about this podcast. We had it in the diary. I should have made some space for you. But in the middle of the podcast, I go, I might have to cut this early because I've got another client I need to see. And that's what we do with our staff. Imagine you're, I'm doing a one-to-one with you, Adam. And for three weeks, you've known it was your one-to-one today. You've told the wife, you've told the kids, daddy's got a one-to-one with his boss today. Um, I'll be home tonight, let you know how it goes. And then half an hour before, I have to cancel it because I've got a client meeting. How would you feel? What would you say? And then what would your work production be like that day? Um, I'd feel pissed off. Uh, I'd have resentment and my productivity would be substandard. But you see, I've got an important phone call and I must make it because I promised them I'd call them. You see, we forget that our staff are our most important asset and we have it plastered on our walls everywhere. Our staff are key until a customer calls. And then we've forgotten. And then I'm going to ask you to call that customer later on to complete the order. And you're on our pissed. And you don't make the call. And then you don't come in the following day because now you've got a little bit of a cold. And all of a sudden now the performance starts to dwindle, and we don't understand. People want clarity. They can deal with change. They cannot deal with uncertainty. And when your one-to-one is cancelled, what they hear is, I'm not loved anymore. Um. And I've seen you in some of the meetings that you uh, that we've co-facilitated together. Uh, if somebody's not in the room mentally, is that you've told them to leave, go and make the phone call, go and do the thing that's on that's on your mind. What? Why? Why is it that we we're not more open and honest and frank and fearless in having those conversations when we can clearly see that people don't want to be there? Okay, so there's two things here. So I often will ask people. Is there anything anybody needs to do in the next 42 minutes? My sessions are only 42 minutes. So is there anything you need to do in the next 42 minutes? Does anyone have to do anything within the hour? You need to get ready for a phone call. So yesterday, one of the team, had one, one of the MDs had a massive call to make with a client at 11.30. So I did a break at 11.20. So he was getting ready for it. So he didn't have to start thinking at 11.29, am I going to stop? But the real issue is, why don't we just say to people, if you don't want to be here, go where you want to go. Because when people are in a room not wanting to be there, their energy affects other people. It's when people start looking at their phones. Uh, I'm just checking a text or I'm just checking an email. My sessions are only 42 minutes long. If you can't allow 42 minutes of your time to be in the room, we've got some major time management issues. And then there's another whole course to go on, which I don't run because I can't be asked with time management. Um, so a couple of things that I want to close with to make sure that we finish on 42 minutes Um, just share with the audience this concept around uh, if it's not working in the boardroom it's not working in the bedroom if it's not working in the bedroom it's not working in the boardroom okay so I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention that yesterday which is interesting our minds are such that 
if the boardroom is working and we have good energy and we go home, our relationships with our other halves will be better. If the work that we're doing is valued and we're given praise and acknowledgement, we're going to have good energy when we get home. If we're not being praised at work, we're probably going to take that anger back to the, to the home. And then there may be problems in our relationships, which definitely will affect bedroom activities. The reverse happens that if your bedroom activities and relationships aren't at home, you're going to carry that to the workplace. Now, I'm not saying in any shape or form, everything's got to be aligned 24-7. I've been married 37 years, happily four, but I've been married 37 years. You know, there are times where there's stuff going on. But when I'm at home, I'm at home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. But there are times where there are niggles and doubts that are going on. And you need to be able to clear work and at home. So when my life at home is working really well, my performance is much better when I'm working with clients. Because I'm not carrying that baggage with me. If you hold a feather in your hand, Adam, for about half an hour, it gets heavy. Even a feather. If I ask you just to hold it out in your hand just for half an hour. If you're carrying relationship issues, children issues, and most parents will say they're only as happy as their saddest child. So if you're carrying that stuff into work, it's going to affect your performance. And if your performance at work, you're not being acknowledged, you're going to carry it home. So recognise the job of a zookeeper and the leader is to nearly be a psychotherapist. It's nearly to understand that you've got to be a coach, a friend, a psychotherapist, a zookeeper, a leader, a mentor. It's a lot of responsibility to be a leader. Um, final two or three tips that you think people should know about. Most people can only focus for between 20 and 40 minutes in the morning and about 15 to 30 minutes in the afternoon. And after five o'clock, they've left the room. So that's the first thing you need to be aware of. If it's information only, send it to people. Don't bring them in for a meeting. And number three, be nice, be kind and trust people. Awesome. So Nigel, where can people find you? NigelRisner.com. You've also got a podcast. What's your podcast called? Yeah, your best year starts here, I think. You know, it is. Your best year starts here. Uh, Nigel's done um, lots of work for for me and my clients over the years. Has been brought back many, many times. Uh, his honesty, uh, his trust factor. In fact, I think there's been a number of times when I brought you into the room and just said, uh, and you said, well, what do you want me to do? I'm going, do what you want. I trust you. Just get on and do what you need to. You'll, you'll pick up the energy on the room. Uh, you'll see and you'll know what uh, people need to be. And I, I love that uh, intuition, um, that insightfulness and knowing all of the wisdom that you've got within you. Um, we will definitely get you back on the podcast uh, for some more help tips and techniques. So thank you, Nigel. Um, this is the Frank and Phyllis Leadership Podcast. If you like the podcast, great. Please listen again next week. And also just forward it to people that you think uh, would be worth listening to. Uh, I'll see you next time on the Frank and Phyllis Leadership Podcast. Bye for now.